You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Rule of Three podcast, where myself, Robert Schmitz, Danny Meehan, and special guest Brad Spielberger are here to come at you and break down the Detroit Lions game and take a look at the Chicago Bears franchise in general as we get into, what is it now, week 14? Like, the season rolls along ever so slowly. The Bears have now fallen six weeks in a row. That doesn't include the bye week. And I got to tell you guys, It's feeling to me like if changes weren't on the horizon already, they were pretty much locked in as the Bears fell to their third straight division rival uh, in an affair that saw them leading by 10 points with less than half the fourth quarter left and then the lead evaporated and they couldn't gain a yard. Like you want to go Ditka style, they didn't deserve to win because they couldn't get that last yard. You want to go modern football, they blew a 10-point lead. I mean, any way you slice it, this was a bad bad loss and it makes me think that whether it's ryan pace matt Nagy, or even everything including all the way up to ted phillips changes seem like they're around the corner now more than i mean almost ever including the tressman era where it felt like just they were going and then emory was almost a surprise am i crazy in that do you guys feel the winds of change blowing i think you're absolutely right rob and something bring up regards to the tressman versus uh Nagy regimes for this team is nowhere near as bad as the Tressman team was because that team got really old in a hurry and fell off an absolute cliff on top of, you, you know, we all know that the second year of Tressman offenses were never good and they always seem to regress way back past the mean to being awful. Um, but something Tressman's teams never did was lose six straight. And Nagy's team has now done that. I'm going to go ahead and say fact. that. They lost the bye week, too. We can just give them an L on, in the bye week. So they lost. <laughs> but it was their best week of practice, Brad. That's all that matters. Yeah, weren't apparently. You, Brad, no, weren't you, you also – oh, go ahead, go ahead. Weren't you talking about how they're the only team – I've said this a couple times, but I got to get it from the horse's mouth. They're the only team to have lost seven straight bye weeks over the last seven years. Nobody so coming, else. Just yep, – co- Yep, coming into the game, they were the only team that had lost it in six straight years. So so they already had the record, and they've just added on to it. Yep. And wasn't that like one of Andy Reid's big calling cards that out of the bye, he gets his team together if they're they're starting to like struggle a little bit, and he gets them past it? Now, it's not exactly apples to apples. He's had McNabb, and he's had, you know, Mahomes and Smith before Mahomes, and he made the Arizona Cardinals give an ungodly some money to Kevin Cobb. But, you know, just if you're coming from that ilk, eventually you, you'd think you would win out of a bye, just even by pure oops. And that hasn't happened. No, sure. it's funny. When you mention the guys who do it, it's not random. I mean, Pey- Sean Payton and Andy Reid are like the two that have just – their record is preposterous coming off a bye. And it's you mentioned the quarterbacks like Kevin Kyle. You, you joke, but I think if you're an elite offensive mind in the NFL – 
you can take a Nick Mullins, you can take a Kevin Cobb, and with an extra week of preparation, you can win games. Before mm-hmm. we get into the game review, which I'm sure we're all looking very much forward to, did anyone else see that graphic on Monday Night Football yesterday with the most passing yards through 13 starts is Mahomes, Andrew Luck, and Nick Mullins. Mullins. What a stat. Just It's incredible. It, it, I mean, doesn't, Shanahan, it doesn't mean anything. Nick Mullins probably sucks. It's okay, but <laughs> just the number. It's like, what? It, Mullins is that funny case where it's like, I, I would put Mullins and Minshew in the same kind of phrase where there's there exists a class of quarterback, and I think Foles fits in there, and I've kind of talked about this before, where they are almost entirely system dependent. And in a good system, they're actually going to look all right. And in a bad system, they're not going to look very good. And if you don't believe me, just look at the fact that Nick Foles deliberately, like straight up out-dueled Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. You go back and and watch the 2017 Super Bowl. It is the Nick Foles show, and he has been probably one of the worst Bears quarterbacks in recent memory. I think a lot of it's been due to the situation around him, sure. But either way, when you look at almost any advanced stat, he has been nothing short of awful this season. And that's just a monster difference over three years. And no, that's not due to just age like you're like you guys are saying what at, at some point a great offensive coach that can make matter. a huge difference and yeah offensive line too but you guys <laughs> talked about and her matt Nagy being andy reed guys i think we can make the assessment he's not <laughs> matt Nagy is not andy reed and you one guy peterson allegedly one quote i want to highlight today more than ever is anthony R- miller's recent let's call it honest moment with the media where he talked about how and i i'm I'm quoting off of memory, but this is going to be pretty close. You know, if the Bears staff would just call the plays that we worked on in practice, we'd probably succeed a lot more in the third quarter in the rest of games. And I'll tell you what, if there's anything that stuck out to me on offense, it's the fact that the Bears went from an almost entirely under center game plan where Mitch Trubisky threw, I think it was two passes in the first half without play action setting him up. And a most of it, probably 70% of the game plan came from under center to a second half that was almost all drop back passing. And for crying out loud, after picking up five and a half yards per carry under center and sitting at second and seven with the two minute warning, just having passed, he drops back in the pocket. Like they call two drop back passes with a, or no play action, even though they just scored a touchdown to Cole Komet off of exactly the kind of under center play action we'd be <laughs> looking for. Just finished scoring it. Just finished two third and fours prior. Do you guys realize this third and four with Cordell Patterson's pass that ended up wayward. That's a drop back pass third and four before that it's a sack third and four with at the end of the two minute game sack and fumble. Mean, give Robert, up the ball. Just to kind of bring up something that I've always, and I know you, you guys being brand, you being meaning you and Brandon disagreed with me a little bit on his fundamental play calling his it's never that his play design is bad right his rhythm and flow and feel within the game has never made any sort of damn sense he needs he has this and every offensive coach does it even the great andy reed even even you know kyle shanahan does it every great play caller does it but matt Nagy doesn't have room to show you his proverbial big football brain run what's working 
until they don't stop you or until they stop you rather even he, worse he does he just abandons things that works it makes no it makes no sense and it's frustrating and like you said run what works until it stops working normally at least i thought i was couching myself in this idea that what the bears were doing in the first half they've never really been a first half team not since Nagy's. well it's weird 2018 they absolutely were 2019 they were one of the first worst first half teams in football so if you wanted to say they keep ripping up the game plan to try to adjust well it kind of looked like that because they were terrible in the first half they were third best in the nfl in the third quarter and then they were bad in the fourth quarter too so weird year in 2019 but here in 2020 dan like you're talking about they just keep kind of changing the game plan at the second half and all of a sudden the players don't know where to line up people are running the wrong routes like it's a mess and you look at that anthony miller tweet or quote and you look at the context of the way this detroit game worked and more obvious than ever it looks as if the offensive play calling staff like whatever that brain trust is is right. kind of betraying their own offensive talent however little or much it may be because certainly their offensive line hasn't been impressive at since like week three this season but even so their play calling sense definitely isn't helping them and i've gotten way too hung up on specific play designs to see that and so i gotta say danny you've been right brad what have you seen no i mean i think it was honestly the, the most telling quote of the whole Nagy era honestly because I, I i think that i agree you know you guys are discussing your debate i, I agree that it, like he does seem to scheme guys open i see guys get open and i used to be the biggest like it's all the quarterback Nagy's good uh and I, i'm no longer that <laughs> at all uh i'll be honest but uh, because the thing with him, not just the rhythm and all that you mentioned, but like you're saying, there's no fundamental base of what his offense is whatsoever. And I think, you know, you mentioned the offensive line there at the end. And if you have a patchwork offensive line or if you're dealing with some injuries and whatnot, when the offense has been this bad, when it's literally you and the Jets in a tier of their own, pick five plays, pick 10 plays. And like, like Dan said, run them over and over and over and over and over again until someone stops them. I mean, Shanahan does it all the time. Just run outside zone down someone's throat with a pin and pull all game long. If it keeps working, why stop? And I'm going to say this, and it's going to shock the ethos, but how the Bears come into the second half of that game against Detroit and aren't pounding the rock with, with David Montgomery is baffling. I mean, no Danny Shelton. They have Detroit probably has the worst front seven in the entire NFL. It's working all first half. You actually have a lead for the first time in two months. And you immediately go back to throwing the ball with Mitchell Trubisky all over the place. Why? What are you doing? Because he can't help himself, Brad. He just can't. He is the proverbial can't get out of his own damn way. And you know what? At least for the last three or what feels like two and a half years, you might tell yourself, I did, that the Bears offensive line isn't executing and quote unquote, that's why he keeps abandoning the run. The quote that I've said a billion times is I would too. With the way that the Bears have been running the ball, it didn't seem like something to stick with. But exactly like you're saying, Brad, screw the rest of the league. We don't have Russell Wilson. We don't have Patrick Mahomes. Mitch Trubisky is an you absolutely You don't even have awful. requisite NFL starting quarterback 
quarterback. You have yeah. bums. Let me finish that phrase. Mitchell Trubisky <laughs> is an awful drop back passer. That's what I'm going with. Why aren't you just running it? Like, why can't you make the quarterback an ancillary piece? Instead, they made him like the function of the offense. And shocker, Jermaine Ifedi playing out of position at right tackle gets beat in a key moment. Mitchell Trubisky, who's never had exceptional ball control when it comes to holding the ball in the pocket, gives up a fumble. And I keep looking at that play and I can't fault Trubisky. I can't fault Ifedi. It's an obvious play call that only you see coming because that's just what Nagy does. And it got his team beat and, it's and totally he, on him in my opinion here's the other thing is when we're saying kyle shanahan runs he, he does the pin down block and he runs outside zone until he until you decide hey we need to stop that and then what does he do he goes inside zone on you and you, you're just like okay it's it sounds stupid and rudimentary it does but there's a reason why the most successful offenses seem to now all come from that mcveigh shanahan almost we'll call him papa shanny you know, come from him. That offense works. It you don't and you don't need a tremendous quarterback to do it. I think they're outthinking themselves, and it goes all the way back to when, when he was hired year one. And we all kind of, you know, ran with it of oh, it's the 101 year. They missed high school. There's not a 101 to be learned when you don't have a base of what you're trying to do. We've never seen them have an identity for as frustrating as Ron Turner and Lovey Smith were at least they committed to we're going to get off the bus running and I'm and I don't want listeners to misconstrue that with what I'm saying I'm not saying get off the bus running play smash mouth football that's not what I'm saying where's the fullback Danny where's the fullback (laughs) I, I want Jason McKee in my life that's not what I'm saying I'm saying they don't have a damn play that they can hang their hat on and haven't for three years that's that's not personnel. That's coaching. And that is play calling because he's never bothered to say, you know, we've all seen remember the Titans split Novocaine. Give it time. These six plays will always work. They don't have those six plays. They don't even have one. The closest thing I've seen is the, the weak side crack toss to Cordero Patterson. And now everyone knows it's the one thing they can do. It doesn't work at all anymore. Yeah, no. It doesn't work at all. <laughs> <laughs> or the shovel pa- or the shovel pass to Trey Burton coming motion across the middle. That didn't work either. Don't do that. That had oh, Nick Foles. Yeah. Damn it. That had Nick Foles like running by himself, <laughs> not pitching to Cordero Patterson. We don't we don't and need that one. Talk again. about talk about an indictment, man. Like Trey saying, Burton though. was terrible in Chicago and has what six touchdown catches now in Indy? Trey Burton had a really good year in 2018. To say that that didn't happen. No, like, no, I, I'm not ever. saying it like that. I'm just saying like they're they're saying they're they cut bait with him and they signed Jimmy Graham and drafted Cole Komet because Trey was the problem. Trey's nothing special. He's a good NFL receiving sure. tight end. I mean, exactly like you're saying, Danny, at what point do you look at this offense? And Brad, I'm sure you're in the same place where we looked at guys who seemed like they were getting schemed open. And we looked at what seemed like decent play calling. Cause on, honestly, I don't necessarily think that the plays the bears try to implement are ever like necessarily bad and say, Hey, why are we shocked that Matt Nagy coming over from Kansas city has himself a pretty well-designed playbook? 
Like if you got a whole bunch of influence from Andy Reed and you had some solid offensive minds around you, I'm sure we could put together a pretty good playbook too. But as we're seeing, I mean, for crying out loud, you look at what Sean Payton's able to do. And when he's got a 40 year old quarterback and Alvin Kamara and nobody else, no problem. And of course I could point back to the offensive line because it matters. Like their offensive line's really, really good. But at the same time, now they've got Taysom Hill and they're still just cruising. Like it's yeah. no big deal. And it's, it's different. Well, the way that a lot of these guys call plays is different. The way they implement their offenses is different. And it's becoming more clear than ever on, unfortunately, both the offensive and defensive end that it does feel like the bears talent level on like in terms of the players isn't being lived up to and it's really weird to see on the defensive end where guys like jalen johnson have gone from stud of the year to totally falling off partially because they keep asking him to play zone coverage buster screen seems to show up on every dadgum play with no protection whatsoever i mean this is getting ridiculous you guys know what i mean I mean, it's, it's hard to dispute it. And it, and again, I understand as football players, millionaires, whatever you want to call them that on the defensive side, especially because they're Brad, correct me if I'm wrong. I think 65% of their cap is invested into their defense. Yeah. yeah. It's the highest like, fleet. Yeah. Number one in actual spending. Yeah. Yeah. So it's ludicrous, not the rapper, by the way, it's legitimately just out of this. It's, it's ridiculous. And, and I understand that they're not supposed to give up, but, at a certain point, they are human. When you've been trying to carry this putrid ass offense for now three years, it's gonna wear on you. You you know, ever heard the saying just banging your head against a brick wall? That's what they're doing. They're doing this over and over and over again. And now for those counting at home, I'm 30. I've seen the Dick Duran defense in the early 2000s. I've seen the Lovey Smith defense in the mid to late 2000s, and now I've seen this defense in the 2020, 20, late 2010s and early 2020s. They've wasted three borderline historically, if not historically good defenses in my lifetime because they've never bothered to think scoring mattered. Yeah, I mean, they, they obviously tried with, with, with going with an offensive coach, which is obviously not what they're known for. But, I mean, you get to the personnel stuff too, though. And, and I mean, like it's it's funny that someone pointed this out that basically Rashad Coward, who they finally took out of the lineup after and you then know, he got wrecked a, on a field goal. <laughs> well, get this. This is what's funny. What I realized if he he gets wrecked on an extra point, I think is what it was. Yeah, extra points. Sorry, misspeak. If they made it, they would have been down three, and they would have been driving for a field goal, not a touchdown. And for all we know, they could have like you know maybe Mitch isn't get, the fumble doesn't happen and all that. So or that was afterwards. Afterwards, so they actually could have had like. Of course, knowing Nagy, they would have stopped at the 40-yard line so Santos could kick a nice 58-yarder because God right. forbid you go for the win. Taking a knee. But still, it's like it comes back to the personnel <laughs> stuff too. I mean, you're not putting guys in positions to succeed. Like, there is – of course, we, we you know, I, I, I will continue to say that I think pace is still a bigger issue than, than Nagy. I believe that. I, I'm not going to change that stance. But you can make personnel work if you put guys – you've asked guys to do what they're good at. And – they're not doing that. And so the, on the defensive side, I mean, yeah, you have Mack and Quinn dropping in coverage all the time. You got, I mean, they're not getting home anyway. So I guess maybe Pagano is just trying to get weird with it. But like you mentioned, they're playing soft zone. I don't need to know about his personal life, Brad. Yeah. You got, you got soft zone, Jalen Johnson, who's, who's a press man corner. 
yeah, and who's been trending in, you know, in the wrong direction now. It's just, yeah, uh, it's, just, it's, it's just a comedy of errors, really. In the words of John Fox, it's all a problem. <laughs> all a problem. I mean, I think that's what's made me most frustrated. I remember I saw this in 2019 with Pagano, and I've obviously got to just start calling things out and not thinking, not not thinking too much of something. Because when I kept seeing Chuck Pagano drop Prince Kamukamura into cover three defenses where he was dropping into zone coverage, and you guys probably remember it, most notably mm-hmm. the Chargers game. If you think back, Prince probably gave up four touchdowns in the game, and three of them just got dropped like out flat out drops with them wide open in the end zone. Nobody near him. Jalen Johnson's getting put in the same position. And honestly, Jalen Johnson might as well have been a younger version of a Mukamura. It seems like he was playing better at the start of the year when all he had to do was play press man corner. Cause Chuck Pagano was trying to help him out. He knew that the rookie hadn't been baked into the defense yet. Well, now he's baked into the defense and he's playing worse. So at what point does that mean that maybe your scheme is, isn't trying to help the, or isn't helping out the players enough. And then you look at what's going on in the front four. In 2018, uh, the front four for the Chicago Bears was ferocious. Leonard Floyd was the clear weak link of a unit that was still getting home on almost every <laughs> single down with Eddie Goldman, Akeem Hicks, and Robert er, and Khalil Mack applying tons of pressure. Did you guys realize that Matthew Stafford had 3.3 or 3.03 seconds? per or like per throw of time in the pocket which in case y'all didn't know is like fifth or sixth highest on the uh like on the week of this last week that's, that's crazy man. way too much time and it's not yeah. going to shock you that uh roquan smith good as he is in coverage does not need to be covering wide receivers which yes because the bears drop in kind of the same zones over and over they can or the lions would scheme smith against wide receivers between the pocket of the zone that was smith and Tashawn gibson who backs like seven extra yards off for no reason on what feels like half of his coverage snaps i'm, I'm starting to really watch this from a schematic perspective and it just feels like everything comes back to the fact that the namesake of this podcast the rule of three has done almost no damage all year long and sure you could say some of that's like to do with offensive holding but it's not affecting tons of other edge rushers across the league's production and it's just it it's hard to watch what looks like a defense that will make the occasional in like individual play kyle fuller will walk with marvin jones off of a double move that he has no business actually following the receiver on jalen johnson Finally gets a press man snap, deflects the ball away. Roquan Smith blows up a screen. Eddie Jackson, dot, 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 because actually we haven't really seen all that many individual plays from Eddie Jackson in what feels like about 10 weeks. Uh, but so, <laughs> like, you do Ellipses. all of you do all of that. You see all these individual plays, and then there the Bears' defense is giving up 34 points in third and 13, inspiring no confidence in its viewers, and it feels way, way too much and, like and old Bears thing. games. You, I don't want to watch again. You you bring up the namesake, Brad. What is Robert Quinn's contract? Like his his number only balloons after this year, right? Yeah, correct. It's a five year, seventy million dollar deal, but this year's cap it was like six point six million. So he jumps to he basically 14. kicked all the money to what year three and four. Yeah, that's the different for every contract. Okay. So let's just play with this game. Quinn's what, 31? He's going to be 31 next year. Yeah, 30 so right he's going to be 31. He averaged roughly, I think, five and a half sacks a year every year for four years up until last year in Dallas. When coincidentally, it's his contract year. Sure. 
not necessarily the most bizarre thing in the world. I know I was excited about it. I know Robert was excited about it. Robert made a whole rule of three video about it when he got there. (laughs) Brandon was excited about it. The only person who now, Brad, this is your second time on the show, who wasn't excited about it was you. So props to you. And I, and I know the pressure rates for him and the double team rates are still there and he's still getting close, but wasn't that the thing we complained about, uh, God, oh my God, I'm Floyd, blanking. Leonard Floyd, Floyd, right. That right. he was always, always just getting, he's just missing. Just missing doesn't count when you're talking about sacks. Is it possible that at, in his age 29 going on 30 season, Robert Quinn got his, what he scrounged together that last bit of everything he had for a double digit sack season. And now he's 30 plus and it happens in every sport, baseball, football, lesser extent basketball i mean just by evidence of lebron and who's whatever but is it possible he fell off the proverbial cliff at 30 like he just can't do it anymore yeah i mean the thing with quinn is that so he did have the outlier year last year um and and again i don't have a battle of the analytics departments and all that but like no 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 metrics espn's metrics had him as like phenomenal and, and and we have a similar win kind of it's like you know one-on-one win and he, he was winning at a high rate for sure um but we still like in a general sense he, he never graded that well because he was still only playing half the snaps and he was still do, giving you nothing outside of that and so i mentioned this to robert i don't know if this is true or not but I'm, I'm i'm telling you go pick a random game this year i haven't watched the film for this last week but watch quinn at soldier field and i think that they didn't do the due, gil- due diligence of this guy only wins with speed he has no other moves besides speed rushes and, I, and he falls over. He slips and falls over five snaps a game. And I don't even think it's his fault. I think the field is so bad at Soldier. And you found a guy whose specialty is, is turning a corner, you know, a sharp corner off a and speed bending. rush. Yeah. 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 And so so he's just, it's just, not, it's just not working. And again, we'll never try to, you know, suggest that he, he's not trying hard. But let's not forget, he did say, and then only retracted once his agent came out and said something, he did say that the reason he signed with the Bears is because he flipped a coin and it landed on the Bears. And he did not retract that statement until his agent came in. So I believe him that he did that. And kudos to him. Good for him. <laughs> well, Brad, you bring up something that I I tried not to think about too hard. Like wh- something that I clearly missed. Because if you had asked me, like, does Robert Quinn ever win with power? No, no. He's a speed rusher. Like a pure speed rusher. Yeah, he wins so, off of literal burst and bend. So how He's in the world did I forget that he was coming to probably the slowest surface in football off of one of the fastest artificial turf. Like surprise, surprise. He had a great season in Dallas where they play in a dome. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that matters. And if you don't believe me, take a look at the fact that Leonard Floyd is having a career season on turf. It's not that weird. Like a lot of speed no, rushers in the NFL, you give them that little extra bit. Turf doesn't help a tackle. They're shuffling sideways. It helps a guy who's in a sprinter's stance. And when you're playing in what is effectively around, the, especially around this time of year, as I understand it, it's basically just icy mud. It's not good footing. And it's the kind of thing that makes somebody like Khalil Mack a little more valuable because he can play with power. But I mean, even that, Khalil Mack's had two incredibly underwhelming and seasons over the last two let's years. Let's also and- be real here we've talked about eddie goldman at length on the show he matters more than we ever imagined quinn may have fallen off a cliff it could be a combination of everything with the field the age whatever it 
he's not playing well. Akeem's now hurt. Really watch Khalil. He's not Khalil right now. Something's going on. I don't know. He's not injured, but like everyone else in the league at this point in the season, especially guys that play the amount of snaps he plays, something's not right. So now you Akeem's got an Achilles and hamstring thing. Robert Quinn isn't productive, and Khalil is probably hurt. I think he's definitely hurt. He was on the injury. Sorry to cut you off. He's on the injury no, report not, like a million all. times. So, so yeah. now your rule of three is rule of zero. <laughs> so right. who's, get, who's getting home? Nobody. Well, Nichols, baby. <laughs> and, the, well, the, and the worst part is, is that the Bears keep running a ton of stunts to try to free somebody up, and all it's doing is blowing the pocket contain wide open. What they used to be able to do, credit to him, Eddie Goldman rarely stunted, so he was able to apply this kind of oppressive pressure that would come down from the inside off of just backing his guy up slowly but surely which meant that all you had to do was even spook the quarterback off the edge and you could move him now step up i mean it's just not that hard and robert quinn and khalil mack are both going zoom right around that edge uh akeem hicks and a lot of times it's like mario edwards or uh eddie goldman or, or not eddie goldman Bilal nichols somebody they're stunting so now there's this wide open middle matthew stafford standing there absolutely no problems whatsoever tossing 25 yard touchdown darts like i mean like batting practice and so, you start you start yeah. to look at this and it, it just drives you nuts because there's no there's no just hey let's just do this and fix it it's just like these guys are getting beat and until they get better which it's not going to happen here in the last four games of the season meaningfully it doesn't improve so maybe one off season is all they need but brad as i'm sure you'd agree edge rushers often fall off starting around 27 28 29 where that like true unbelievable athleticism starts to fade and that doesn't bode well for certainly not robert quinn but akeem hicks and uh Khalil Mack are both in that same, actually a little bit older than you'd think they are category. And it's not really great for guys making, I think, a collective $50 million. Yeah, they're the yeah. oldest defense in the NFL now. Um, oldest in the NFL? Are yeah, you yeah. kidding? I, I don't know why. Yeah, I, I struggle to understand Thanks, why people. Thanks for raining on the parade. Even yeah, more. I, I don't know. People keep telling me on Twitter, like, get a quarterback in this draft and they'll be good in like two years. I'm like, you realize the defense in two years is going to be like Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson, and nine guys you've never heard of. I don't know if you're aware of that. But I seriously, I don't get it. People keep telling me, like, there's a, there's a window. They got two more years. First of all, the defense isn't even good this year. So why, like, why do you think it's going to go back to 2018? It's in like fact, a middling. Some would say it's middling at this point yeah it's a middling defense which again which as we always say a middling defense they could be top five again next year because you know there's a lot of volatility there if they stay healthy if if things break their way that can happen sure but why there's this belief that it's like a guarantee that they're just going to get good again well, as you mentioned a hicks love him but he's going to be 31 next year as well getting up there in age injuries two years in a row now kind of taking some games from him Mac has Mac, you know, uh, he's, he was dealing with a back and a knee. He missed, he's missed more practice than I think he missed in his first two years in Chicago combined. Like it, it's catching up to him. Yeah. Not trying to kill Khalil Mack there. More pointing out that a guy who is known for being a generational edge rusher may fade to just being good. And a yeah. good edge rusher okay. making $24 million is a very expensive prospect compared to, I mean, even a decent one making little. But either way, we're a little over time on taking a break. So let's step aside and we'll be right back to not only answer questions, but also talk about the bright, maybe not so bright, future of the Chicago Bears. 
Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And we are back with the Rule of Three podcast as myself, Robert Schmitz, Danny Meehan, and special guest PFF's Brad Spielberger are here to talk Bears as we now exit this game. And I'll tell you what, if there's one bright positive, and I brought this up on my post-game show, but I'll say it one more time because we really are hitting that point where, let's be honest, Bears fans, this is a positive the Bears not only probably ushered everybody out the door with this blown loss, but they also kept the tank alive, which is not a word that anybody wants to hear, but I'm just going to sledgehammer us in there and talk about the tank because with teams like the Washington football team beating the Steelers, with teams like the New York Giants beating the Seahawks, there are a lot of teams that the Bears need to pick up wins that are picking up wins in the most unlikely of weeks, and it actually might be the one bright spot about the bears future at the moment because oh my word even at five and eleven uh if that happens they may have a chance to reset at the top brad as far as what you're seeing because i know you monitor this a lot more than i do does or are the bears in an at least okay position or maybe better than we thought a couple weeks ago as far as the tank is coming along we've had this past week was probably the best week of results you could possibly ask for. Uh, it could have been a little better because I think Houston could have probably pulled out a win at the end there against Indy. Um, but for the bears to lose, you know, in depressing fashion, right at the end against the lions. And then for the giants with Colt McCoy to go to Seattle and beat the Seahawks. And then last night, of course, the football team take down the previously undefeated Steelers. You now have the lions red football team. And I caught myself and giants. <laughs> there you go. All at all at five and seven, all same record as the Bears. Um, that's huge. I mean, you're now they're in this cluster now where they're, they're at 13, I think, as of this minute. Um, but they have a shot now to get in the top seven, top eight pick range. Um, which again, I mean, as as against trading up and all, and all that as I am, if 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 they have to get moved to six from eight to get a, a Trey Lance or whoever they like at that spot, I'm, I'm okay with that. It's, it's quarterbacks. Things are different for quarterbacks. So no, the tank. The tank looks better. I mean, this week against Houston, a loss a loss against Houston is a great loss for the Bears this week. You, you know what's really, really bad, though? This defense is still talented enough to where they can have that one-off game, and Mitch is still contesia enough where he can oops his way into a win, and they're going to screw this up somehow. They're going to. It's not a matter of if. They're not losing out. They're not hey. going to. Hey, maybe I'm just choo-chooing on the tank train here. But and I think mind you to our possible. listeners out there, I personally think 
as we're going to, I know we're getting into the front office stuff later in the show and whatnot. They're going to fire everybody. It's, it's not a matter of they need to do it now. It doesn't really matter with the rumor of whatever coming out, you know, it's eventually coming, but Matt Nagy, Chuck Pagano players in general for as fed up as they can get, they're not programmed to lose. These guys don't get to this level and this kind of these kind of paychecks, this kind of athleticism, thinking eh, losing's okay. They're gonna still go out there and compete in some regard, and they're gonna try to win football games. Sure, but with Mike with Mike Glennon suddenly putting up twenty four points against the uh, against the Vikings, who I think have a defense that's actually playing a little better than Chicago's. Suddenly, every game looks losable to me. But I I want to take something that you said, Danny, and I want to pass it over to Brad because. In the pre-show, he seemed to express a different opinion, one that I hadn't heard in a while, because, Brad, you obviously know much more about what's going on in the, like, high part of the front office, because I'll be honest, a lot of times I kind of just stop at coach. Like, I know the staff up to the coach, and then I'm done. But you talked, Danny, about how they're not going to fire Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, and the rest, but based on what you were saying, Brad, it sounded like that actually may hurt the bears more than it appears. Is that the case? Is it, is it better once you've announced the vacancy a little bit earlier? I think you can argue, um, you know, that maybe not, not so bad as like you have to do it, but I, you know, from my perspective, it, it's as simple as this is that when you make the decision to move on from a guy, then you can start, you can jumpstart your process and you can start work. And the more time you have to evaluate the better, um, Teams like to get this stuff done quickly for the optics and all of that. I mean, what they they hired Nagy during the playoffs, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. They flew. It was right after that the game that, sadly, was very telling, where he couldn't make an adjustment to save his life in the second yeah. half. They lost Travis <laughs> Kelsey, and he couldn't. He literally couldn't complete it. Like he couldn't get a single play to work. So that was probably telling in its own right. But anyway, so I do. I think that it gives you the opportunity to get ahead of the game. Like we heard that this morning. I mean, the Houston Texans and Cal McNair. He already he hired a search firm, which. You know, maybe it doesn't mean much, but he has a, an advisory committee with Tony Dungy and the and the Spurs GM. Like he's gathering insights, he's getting smart people around him. That's the, the only thing that can do is help. Only thing I, that can do is help. I, I'm not disagreeing with you, Brad, but I guess we heard the rumor about Phillips retiring. We'll you, we'll throw air quotes up around the word retiring because he's been with the Bears I think since 1998 or 99, something like that. He's been with the Bears a really, really, really long time. But if with that coming out, isn't it? Now, let's not give George McCaskey too much credit here, but isn't it possible with that coming out, he's already sending his feelers out? And, I mean, now, say what you will about it. They they live the, – the McCaskies and the Bears' ownership in general kind of lives in their own little bubble, as we all know. They don't know football people. They don't get around. They don't really schmooze anyone and get to know agents and whatnot. They just – they don't – that's not what they do. Like, go look at their board of advisors. Literally none of them has anything – any sort of background playing coaching or otherwise in the game of football they just don't now i'm just I, I, i'm trying to be a little more hype like forward thinking that you hear this rumor come out and you you kind of know that no one's going to survive this especially with the rumors of the meeting with george and pace and and Negi, that it's inevitably coming but the bears just don't do this in season i think with the the rumor of the retirement or impending potential retirement. I think you might already be, they might already be trying to do something back channels wise. Now how much you should trust that not like the meet my thought process, but George finding a potential president of football. 
that remains to be seen. But that's just my question to you. So I totally hear that. And, and yes, you're probably right. Odds are that behind the scenes, they, you know, for all we know, they've been looking at it for a while now. But I think that what you touched on there is huge, is that, I mean, this is going to sound crazy to people listening, but it's true. What, what, what the, the McCaskies inherited their dad's mom and pop shop hobby that happened to turn into a big industry. Like, it's no different than if they inherited their, da- their dad's soda shop, but it just happened to be the Chicago Bears. Like, George McCaskey is a casual fan of football. He doesn't know anything about football, and he has no interest in knowing about football. He's a businessman, and they run it as a profit maximizer. So we have, we have Robert down in Dallas. It sucks to say this, but – and here's the thing. Is he's I was going to say spend. it if you didn't, so. <laughs> well, no, no, I didn't mean that. But basically, my opinion, in, t- in modern sports – if you don't have a Mark Cuban owner, you're very much so less likely to win because Mark Cuban isn't trying to make money. He has no interest in making money. He has interest in winning football. And so McCaskey wants to win. Yes. But if the bears could go eight and eight or nine and seven every season and trickle in the playoffs sometimes, and there's still asses in the seats every Sunday, and they're still selling a bunch of merch and they're making, making a bunch of new jerseys. He doesn't care. He doesn't. That's a fact. He does not care. I mean, to to your point on that, he, he ran their ticketing department he would hound people to buy tickets. That's literally what he cares about. And it's, and guys, it sucks to say it, but like this, this fan base, I love bears fans. I am a bears fan when the, or like I live in Dallas have forever. We're we're all bears fans. Of course. I I just have to make it plain that there is something about the Navy and orange. That's almost more corrosive in terms of your fan base. Like when Dallas would play the bears, I would feel this animal come out inside me saying, go bears, kill the Cowboys. And I thought I was even keeled between the two found out. I wasn't that said, this isn't Seattle's fan base, which, is going to sound weird until you remember that Seattle is super pro analytics. And if you take a look at even just their Twitter personnel, let alone the way that fans talk about it, a lot of them take hard looks at data and try to make the best decisions. And obviously they all love Russell. Well, wasn't that the big sparking of the quote unquote, let Russ cook movement. Absolutely. Like the, exactly. The analytics showing they were just better when Russ threw more versus trying to be a 50, 50 split of a football team. What I'm trying to say here is that right now, if you quote unquote, give bears fans what they want, I don't know if it equates to winning like bears fans want to run the football. They want to play good defense. We kind of want an outdated brand of football. And the hope was that Matt Nagy would at least usher the bears into the modern era. And if anything, all it looks like he and Mark Tressman are going to combine to do is to send that progress straight backwards. And I wouldn't be surprised guys if Brandon Staley and John Harbaugh are going to be like number one and number two in terms of the bears, like coaching selections, because one is a young, bright defensive mind. And the other is a former bear and I mean, all Jim those things, Harbaugh, right? If you can get John Harbaugh yeah, out, of, sorry, out of Baltimore, please do it. Go <laughs> John, awesome. Yeah, I'll take him. Come here. <laughs> but the point is Danny, like you're talking about, we could talk about different offensive guys that might be able to, again, continue to bring that modern football attitude to Chicago, but you get a defensive guy and you spend some more money on defense, like Robert Quinn, people are going to watch the game. And the McCaskies are going to keep making the money and it's going to take a massive organizational attitude change to fix that. Okay. So let me just kind of chime in on this here because I would venture a guess of the four of us who have rotated on this panel of three of us on rule of three between you, Brad, Brandon, and myself are very much. We, we watch the film a lot, but I would say of the four of us, I'm much more the meathead of the bunch where I believe in the mentality of football. There's a word. 
Yeah. Oh, I, I wouldn't hundred percent believe that. But the thing people don't understand is I also, I do forward think I've talked to Brad about this, about how it's a, it's a melding of, it's a melding pot of both ID ideologies. What bears fans need to understand is, you know, what makes your defense and your running game look a hell of a lot better getting a damn lead scoring points Last year it was something the four teams in the AFC and NFC championship games were the four best running teams in football. You know why they can run the damn ball? Because they get a damn lead. Mm. I don't care if you want to throw the ball 60 times and then run it 25 times after halftime because you got the lead and you're up two possessions and you're salting away the game. Kareem Hunt led the league in rushing his rookie year by virtue of the fact that they were always winning football games. This, yeah. is, this is the brand of football. You can still get your smash mouth running style in after you get a 17-point lead. It's, it's not – so Bears fans who were more probably listening to me, they're like, yeah, Dan's an idiot meathead like me, you know, or not to say it like that. But you can have both, and you can live in this gray area of which football is. It's not all analytics. It's not all film work. It's not all scouting. It's, it's not all throwing the ball like yeah. you're talking about. It's not right. all throwing the it's ball. It's not just throwing the football. It's a melding of everything, and they need to find the balance, and they just can't seem to do it, and I don't know how they're going to do it. Because... Here's your perfect example. Here's your perfect example because I, I think people assume analytics. All right, this guy wants to throw the ball every single down. He must love that Nagy is allergic to running. No, I don't. And here's a perfect example. Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland because it's not just throw the ball for the sake of throwing the ball. It's that he uses play action more than any coach in the NFL. He did it last year, made Kirk Cousins look incredible. He's doing it this year. Baker has been great. But, but, when he, but I mean, he looked like, a, like an all-star on Sunday. It's also finding edges and doing things smarter, which can be running. I mean, Kyle Shanahan, we talk, we talk about outside zone the whole show. I mean, and, and, and as Dan mentioned, you, you get to that and you're able to lean on that because Jimmy Garoppolo had the highest yard per attempt in the NFL last year. Like, successful passing game enables you to have a successful running game. I'm not just trying to say all I care about is throwing the ball, defending the pass, and nothing else matters. I know we like to say that on Twitter and whatnot and joke around, but that's not at all what, what any of us really believe. But – it matters more, and it enables you to then lean on and get good at those other aspects of football. Right, and I, and, yeah. I haven't looked at the PFF or the advanced analytics for, say, the Titans, where they their, their bread and butter when it comes back to something is, if I need four yards, I'm going to give it to the 260-pounder in my backfield. That's yeah. what they're going to do. But I would venture a guess, just not having looked at it in any sort of time recently, probably week two is the last time I really took a look at it, I'm willing to get bet Tannehill's pretty good out of play action. <laughs> pretty, I'm good. To bet pretty good pretty good i, I know Tana i'm probably been going crazy with that action. thought and Tannehill guys sucked for a large part of miami he threw he had a couple four thousand yard seasons but when you're throwing because you're always down eventually you're just going to oops your way into a lot of yards but that's what i'm saying guys like mm-hmm. like yeah. and and now you you bears fan listeners are hearing me probably the most I believe in the art of football guy on this show and Brad, who probably is the other extreme on the show of really trusting the analytics saying essentially the same thing. We just, I don't think any of us on this show know how to get to that point for this organization. The joke right, that I told, right, go ahead. 
the joke that I told somebody is that if you gave the wrong analytics guy total control of a team, like think one of those chatbot style things where it's like the if the numbers say it, do it. And they went for like a bazillion fourth downs and they threw only deep routes because that's the most efficient EPA per play route. So they just ran post routes, flag routes, deep routes, and so on and so forth. I don't know if it would work. Maybe I'm crazy and wrong. I don't think it would work. It would not work. I'll tell you right now. It would not work. I think so. And and my perfect example, Dan, to your point, the Bills played the Chiefs. The Bills decided on defense. The only way we're going to stop the Chiefs is if we sit in quarters the entire game, which for those of you who don't know, is basically send both your safeties and both your corners way deep and dare them to throw short and run the ball. So what did Andy Reid do? He shrugged his shoulders and just ran the ball the entire game and Clyde Edwards or Clyde layer and the rest of the uh, Chiefs running backs racked up a bazillion yards wasn't that qu- the game on the show where I was just like because the game was relatively close if my memory serves and they stopped running the ball at a certain point even though I think Clyde was averaging like 7.2 yards of carry and I, I was just griping like you have the lead He's got seven yards a pop. Keep giving him the ball. And then they think they went back to it and they yeah. just steamrolled him. The, yeah. the most pass happy offense in the league with Pat Mahomes, one of the two clear MVP candidates at the moment, just ran the ball a billion times because it was the right approach at the moment. And that I think is all I think any of the three of us want is the right approach at the moment. Even if you have Aaron Rodgers run play action until it stops working and they crushed the bears with play action. I mean, it's the easiest way to neuter pass rush is so much so that even Foles has been effective in play action with an offensive line made up of like cardboard cutouts I, that represent offensive linemen. I mean, I take but, exception to that. Nick Foles <laughs> is a Super Bowl MVP, right? Don't make it sound like he's. But you mentioned the offensive line though, but I mean, Tannehill has now lost his left tackle and Taylor Lewan, who's like an all pro. He lost Jack Conklin this off season to the Browns and they're still just tearing it up on play action. And again, it's, that sounds like an easy band-aid. You just do play yeah, action and play. It's going to work. I, but- I guess it makes it sound like we're discrediting the big man in the back. He, he for as much as I kind of questioned him coming out of Alabama, because a lot of Alabama backs get to the league and kind of peter Art, out. Trent Richardson. <laughs> yeah. And our Trent Richardson Derek, We might be looking at a generational type back in, in, Henry. in Derek Henry. So it's yes. The line matters for a guy like him just not as much because he's special. Right. And I, I kind of think, or I feel like we've talked about a whole lot of great football and honestly, I, I almost have no idea where we are anymore and that's okay. Cause well, we're we got just, a mailbag to do. It's a very, well, that's first, what I was about to say. First, let's, let's right. jump into the mailbag and we're going to start with the obvious question. I think it's the obvious question anyways, because if we've Why got Brad Spielberger on, you know, <laughs> it's what we have to ask about Brad. First question, when it comes to GM candidates, who catches your eye and how do you think the bears pitch that guy to get them in with options like Jacksonville and the jets or I don't think the jets yet. They haven't fired their guy. And I actually think he's on no, the jets job. GM is saying they just got, but, yeah, yeah all, all that to say, who are the GM candidates that you're looking at right now that are catching your eye? Phil sure. So you really can go a lot of different directions. Um, there are a lot of great candidates out there. I think there's some retreads that are, that are still intriguing to me. Um, as well as some, you know, some guys looking for their first shot uh, right off the bat. Uh, you know, I will say that, again, successful organizations tend to get everyone to look at them. So 
I'm going to be picking guys from successful organizations, but it's not, I promise it's not just because I said, oh, they work for the Saints. They must be smart. They must be good. Um, right off the bat, though, I mean, two guys in the Saints, both Terry Fontenot, who's their director of pro scouting, um, been there for about 15, 20 years now. He's, he's excellent. And then, unfortunately, Jeff Ireland, who might be the best, you know, honestly, probably one of the best, if not the best drafter in the entire NFL. Um, been with the Saints since the 2017 class, which is one of the best draft classes ever, um, you know, without a quarterback. Obviously been there, you know, Michael Thomas years and all through recent years. Uh, with the Cowboys before that, he unfortunately does not have a does not have a GM job currently because he asked Des Bryant if his mom was a prostitute. I don't know if people remember that story, but yeah, it's a it's a tough look. It's a bad story, and 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 he deserves to kind of be cast in the shadows for a bit. But it sounds like he's no. getting his his chances again, and the guy is a is a now Brad. Just a question for you before you uh before we continue in names. Now, I'm of the belief personally that because Ted Phillips has always been the president and the de facto. I hire the football guy or the guy that recommends hiring of the football guy that if he does indeed move on, I'm of the opinion, they should go find a guy who's, I, I hesitate to use the term super agent. Cause that makes you think like drew Rosenhaus, right? Like a dude who's just a pain in the ass, but I'm thinking a guy who's got like media relations, agent connections, knows everybody in football, but doesn't fancy himself a football mind almost like he kind of dips his toe in a little bit of everything and you could make him almost like your president and let him then hire the football guys. Cause he knows all the right people. You mean so like the, is, go ahead, go ahead. the managerial head coach classification of a team president, right? Just, just a, a president of football ops. He might, he might dabble in, in scouting a little bit. He might dabble in agency. He might dabble in a little bit of everything, but because he does that, he knows everybody. So this is interesting because I it's been the hot name and I actually was pushing back on it for the longest time, mostly just because I thought it was basically people just picking a convenient name. But that name is Lewis Riddick. It is. Um, I spoke with someone who worked with him in Philadelphia who said he was the smartest person he's ever worked with in his entire career. This, this gentleman had worked for three NFL teams over a span of a decade. Um, and, and the thing with Riddick is that he was so he, the, the, the top that he reached before he left was director of player personnel. Um, so he could be that guy who's, yeah, you're the president of football operations. He knows everybody. He knows all the agents, you know, like Mayock, he knows everyone from, you know, media everywhere. Um, and he, and he, and he can handle, I think he would be good at handling, finding good people, finding smart people, building out your, uh, your, you know, your, de your department, you know, all of those scouts and everything. And then a couple of names in that department, I think Rick Smith, former GM of the Texans, he was basically, he had as much power almost as Bill O'Brien did at the end there, I guess, minus being the head coach, but he was in charge of every single aspect of their operation. He was almost like, he was Ted Phillips and Ryan Pace combined, which is insane because neither of those guys can even handle their own jobs. But so <laughs> you take Rick Smith and, and you put him as president of football operations, I think he, that's a slam dunk hire. Uh, and, and so like, I do think that end of the day, sorry, long story short, I could name candidates for both spots all day long. The main answer is that you need to hire two people. You need to hire a president of football operations and a general manager. You need to have more minds doing more things. Well, I'm going to take the low hanging fruit just because I'm pretty sure it's in your Twitter bio. And you're a Tulane grad, are you not? That is correct. How do you feel about Mr. Mike Tannenbaum? So two guys. So first, I think Mike Tannenbaum will be a phenomenal president of football ops. Um, he probably knows more. He might know more people in positions of power. I think I realized this the other day that 
you can trace back the entire NFL infrastructure right now to Marty Herney, Mike Tannenbaum, and well, now I'm blanking. But there were three guys where basically every guy in, in a position of power in the NFL can, can trickle back to those people. So another guy, he knows everybody. Now he's at ESPN. He'd be a perfect one. And then the last, last one, you mentioned Tulane, Omar Khan, who is the Steelers' right-hand man. He's their vice oh. president of football and business administration. He was with the Saints first because he went to Tulane, started, started working for the Saints right out of college. And now is Kevin Colbert's you know, right-hand man, handles all aspects of contracts. He's known as a contract guru, but also can scout, but maybe that's not his only thing. So that's another Tulane guy. But yeah, so those two names, absolutely. So what Brad is saying, folks, is he wants nothing but Tulane people in the Bears front office. That's Matt Forte, get, get Matt Forte in there. Get Darnell Mooney. Get him. Get him a raise. Come Easy. on, guys. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, one thing I think is so interesting. I know a lot of people want to focus on the head coaching hire. I really feel like those hires you're talking about the potential change of president pending Ted Phillips's rumored retirement and the GM are going to set the dominoes that fall for the rest of everything because for instance it doesn't really matter who you want to be the head coach they have to know the gm because the gm is going to pick that head coach and then that head coach is going to determine the offensive and defensive coordinator i know that everybody can get a whole ton of clicks and views and whatnot on assembling these like frankenstein staffs that don't know anybody but that just doesn't really happen in the NFL. And like you're talking about having these conversations of who's this guy who knows these people who's connected to this setup. Like who are we looking at for general manager? Cause it's going to have a huge, huge, huge determination in who the ultimate coach is. I guess the reason I'm so kind of wanting a VP or president of football officer, whatever you want to call it is because yes, pace is the de facto president of football operations. The problem is when you get that guy and he sucks, like he like Pace has, or I, I hesitate to say he sucks. He's mismanaged the cap and just completely neglected one side of the ball. So really good on one side till recently, really, really bad on the other. But your chain of command dies when he sucks. And that's why I was asking specifically about a VP or president like a Tannenbaum or, or Lewis Riddick, whatever it might be, because then it just doesn't die if that guy sucks at his job. I think they just need a larger infrastructure. Similarly, like we, that's been a problem, I guess, in Chicago sports in general, the bulls for the longest time had one guy in player development, one dude (laughs) for 15 players. That's craziness. Like you can't expect a guy to handle all that. The, the infrastructure, at least in my view, just needs to be larger. He just, yeah, I guess my issue is he just can't, meddle too much in the football decision making like you can run it by him but it shouldn't be oh during draft day he wants the the gm wants zach wilson the vp wants you know whoever or uh let's let's use trey lance so he just takes trey lance despite what everyone else in the room is saying that's what can't happen no 100 100 percent. and there's always going to be a situation where a guy will have final say but the more voices you have in the building that have actual power behind those voices and, and right. if enough people disagree, then maybe if, if Orion Pace, still even though he has last say, if everyone else disagrees, maybe he'll say, all right, I'm not going to have credibility in this building if I still go against all 10 of my guys. And, and so a couple things. So first point, 
as I'm doing this research, you do realize the teams that have been successful lately are the teams that are that have stacked front offices. Like there's no salary cap on a front office. I mean, there are there are literally five guys with the Bills right now who are G, are legitimate GM candidates. Like it's insane. I mean, well, Lake Dawson's already had GM interviews in the past. Lake Dawson was, was a finalist for the Bears job the last time as well. I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. There was also Joe Scone or Schoen, their assistant GM. He's a little bit younger, but you know, a hot name. Then they have Malik Boyd, director of pro scouting. Uh, they have Terrence. What's his name? They have literally a bunch of guys who have long resumes of success at multiple stops. But then, Robert, to answer your question really quick, because I did have a couple of these as well, if you're looking for a combo of GM and head coach, because that does matter, two names there are going to be out of Tennessee. You're going to want Arthur Smith, their offensive coordinator, as head coach. And you'd want Ryan Cowden, who is their uh, vice president of player personnel. You'd want him as the GM. The second one is out of, is in San Francisco. You get Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator, as your head coach. And Adam Peters, who's also their VP of player personnel, it's him and Martin Mayhew, who was the old Lions GM. But them two have been co-VPs. Those are those package deals that are slammed up. I packages. think you're speaking Bears fans' language with Robert Sala. He is oh, Mr. Yeah. Grit and Grind, and I'm yelly, screamy on the sideline. Hey, I'm Dr. Seuss now, too. So the, who, the last thing, too, to address that point as well, because I, I maybe on this podcast even, I've talked about how I'm against having a defensive head coach because the, 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 yeah, the belief being that if you get an elite offensive coordinator, you're then going to lose him to a head coaching job. So the Bears, you know, that's going to happen. That's fine. That's probably a good problem to have. We'll take that. I'm all fine hiring a, you know, any of these guys you mentioned or even like a Pat Fitzgerald get crazy only because if the, if the plan is to not have that person call plays on offense or defense, I want a Mike Tomlin. I want a Bill Belichick. I want a John Harbaugh. I want a guy who is a head coach on Sundays, who is not a play caller on Sundays. It makes sense. I mean, and who knows, maybe you're just being reactionary because there are plenty of head coach play callers that are perfectly fine. You look at the Sean Payton, Andy Reid types, even to a degree, I think Cliff Kingsbury is a great like C, C plus option where you look at him and you say, do I love what he's doing? Not necessarily. Is he failing? No, but like, that's, that's what you risk. I like you talking about though. Yeah, go, yeah ahead, go no go ahead finish your thought but i just wanted to br- i was going to bring up something else sure basically i think that there is real argument to be said that Nagy's insistence on being that head coach play caller which don't get me wrong i'm glad he tried to i would rather he test that medal or get out the door uh I do think that that contributed greatly to his failure as the Chicago Bears head coach because he does seem like he rallies guys well enough that he could have transitioned into that John Harbaugh role if he wanted to, but he didn't want to. So kind of to what Brad's point, and I'm glad he brought it up, is if if you're talking about looking at the tippy top of who are the best coaches in football, you do have a couple of guys like Reed and like like Peyton who call their own plays, but – best play the best head coach to ever live doesn't call plays for anything bill belichick doesn't call anything he just it's his infrastructure this is what he does john harbaugh who for my money is one of the best damn coaches in football that seemingly always gets forgotten about when you're talking about the best coach in football is a former special teams coordinator mike tomlin has never had a season worse than eight and eight and steelers fans want him fired anytime he's not 13 and three or 12 and four. Yeah. Think about that. So that's three of the probably top five head coaches in football who have nothing to do with play calling. It's all about leadership and how you handle your business. So if your guy is a play caller, great. If he's not great, 
get the best damn dude for the job at the end of the day. That's where I'm at because everybody, especially last time after the Mark Trestman experience was like, you got to get the modern NFL innovator who calls his own offensive plays at a certain point. If it's, I don't care if it's, you know, the, the offensive coordinator from Buffalo, whose name I'm drawing a blank on, if it's Brian Dabble or if it's Salah or whoever it is, or if it's Dave Taub, if they want to bring him back because they think he just understands how to develop talent at the bottom of a roster. Get the right guy. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, it's actually funny. I'll kind of bring the full circle both to the front offices and to the rule of three podcast right. in itself. Is that we're, we're, we're looking at this the same way we were just talking about the front office structure. Like, it's never good to have, unless you're a Bill Belichick and you're a superhuman individual, it's clearly not that good to have a ton of responsibility on one individual. I mean, we're not sitting here saying it's easy. Like, I'm not sitting here, like, saying, oh, Nagy couldn't both be the head coach of the Bears and be the play call of the Bears. That's impossible. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do. But it's funny. I, I always, of course, bring things back to the Vikings and everyone makes fun of me as they should. But they used to have a thing back in the day called the Triangle of Authority, where it was before Rick Spielman actually became the GM and him, Rob Brzezinski, who's now their president of football operations and Mike Tice, who was the head coach at the time, all three of them were on equal playing field. They, it was only for one draft and one off season, but basically because they had a sitting duck GM before Spielman was going to get the official title, but basically all three guys had equal say. And, and like, the, if you look at the, the moves they made, if you look at the signings and draft, like they, they did well. Um, and again, I don't, that's not that's obviously like a, you know a useful example, but it's just like you see over and over again the buildings that have a lot of talented people that have a diversity of thought, diversity of process, diversity of background. It it really matters. It makes a big difference, and I think I think all of this helps us. Just we're gonna go lightning round through a lot of these questions because I think Let's we go. can. For instance, like no I'll, I'll start with one that you kind of hinted at, Brad. Idris Muhammad Kudaimi or Kudaimji. Uh, goodness gracious, I hope that that's. Uh, God I bless hope you. That I got that name even Whoa. close. It says Robert. I'm or I'm starting to believe that with tweaks like cleaning house, hitting the hires, maintaining the defense, hitting on that quarterback while keeping Robinson, signing some veteran offensive line, and getting a good rookie offensive tackle we can be back in contention. I'm not crazy, am I? And the trouble is, is that I'll start on this one. That's a lot of things. Like that, <laughs> it's, it's hard to hit on everything you want to do. Is it possible? It's any, I mean, anything's possible, but a whole lot of this, in my opinion anyways, really comes down to how the Bears finish. Because if by the grace of all that is holy, the Bears can land this plane at five and 11, they may actually be able to reset the franchise with a franchise potential quarterback. And that doesn't mean that Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, or whoever's that third quarterback available is any some kind of a sure thing it just means they won't have to take one of those dead seasons for next year but even so the best news the bears fan or that the bears could have gotten in my opinion is that the cap does looks to be about 20 million more than we were anticipating if it goes up to that 195 million but brad you're going to know a lot more about that than i am so yeah that was there's some reports coming out um pro football talk had the main one there just that they'd heard that the number they're kind of trying to target now is, is somewhat flat of the 198 million that we have this current year um so 195 was, was the goal there you know I, I didn't think it was going to be the floor of 175 I, I thought they would try to smooth it but the thing is yes it obviously makes life a little bit easier for the bears but it, it also makes life easier for, for 31 other teams as well right so 
the thing about his question, which is funny, and again, I, I, I'm not trying to be like this all-knowing person. I'm not trying to say that nothing can turn around quickly, but I think folks take, again, take for granted, like how many issues there are. Like, yeah, if you could just replace Leno and Massey and get Robinson under contract and find a quarterback, then you'll be good to go. I'm like, okay, so you're going to find two blue chip offensive tackles and a quarterback in one off season that are all going to be good in year one. Like sweet gangbusters. Let's do it. So that's the question is like, <laughs> can they do it? If they have a, if they have one of those draft classes, like the 2017 saints class where you land a, a Ryan Ramchick, Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams, you know, Trey Hendrickson. Like if you have one of those classes, things can turn quickly, but they need a perfect draft class, a perfect off season. They need perfect health next year. And, and that, and then maybe yes, like that's the thing. So and to just to put one more thing out there, the Bears have pushed so much stuff into the future that eventually they do have to pay the price for it. And I'll, I'll give a quick image. If you don't do the work today, you have to do it tomorrow. But that doesn't mean that you don't also have to do tomorrow's work tomorrow. So now tomorrow you're doing today and tomorrow's work. And God forbid you push that into the future, but you get the idea. Eventually, like you're talking about, Brad, you do have to pay the price for the Robert Quinn deal and the Danny Trevathan deal. And a lot of the deals, uh, frankly, even the Eddie Jackson, Khalil Mack deal that you've been pushing out into the future. And that's going to slow this thing down because so, the ja or the Jacksonville or Jaguars, for instance, could build an entire team much like Miami did this last off season using free agency. And the bears just don't have that tool available to them as their defense ages. It's not to say it can't, turnaround it's to say it would have to go truly perfectly and that I think the Bears fans best hope is that they can find that quarterback and at least we can have a Chargers-esque season where we have fun cheering for the guy under center and the rest of the team amidst all the losses well before I get into my answer Justin Herbert's a treat isn't he isn't God, he so he's fun? just so much fun <laughs> even and, with the 45 to nothing loss I mean like, don't don't still I don't, fun. I, I don't want to pull Twitter receipts but I will if I have to he was my guy you should have taken if you wanted a franchise quarterback this draft just saying no. i was in on him until coleman made me get out on him and i should have yeah, trusted my don't gut. list trust yourself <laughs> should have trusted my gut but then again i say that and i had deshaun kaiser number one in his class so we're not going to talk about that <laughs> we're not going to talk about that well one a one a deshaun watson was one and one a with deshaun, the two deshauns but now so, your answer now my answer um <laughs> to to ask for all this to happen is simply unfeasible even if you got that 2017 draft class reincarnate this year you still have to get the coaching hire right you still got to get the the gm hire right the president you got to get everything right and to your point robert so brad brought up the the draft class and the needing of everything i'm bringing up the the coaching and the hires and everything needing to be perfect and you're saying eventually you have to pay the piper you do at this point your window with this defense slammed shut when Mitch sucked. If Mitch is even, say, the 18th best quarterback in football, so slightly below average, we're talking about a guy who you can win with. I'll even jump in right there and say, like, the Mitch Nagy marriage. Like, whatever that soup of quarterback, head coach, that thing failed. Right. And it slammed this defensive window shut, like you're talking shut. about. I think at this point, as much as it pains me to say it, you can't move Khalil. You're never going to get the value for him that you should. So he's here. But 
if you can get like a fourth round pick for Akeem Hicks, if you can get a fourth for Kyle Fuller, if you can start to kind of for, you know, when you go, if you have an old car and you try to sell it, they're giving you that, say your car is valued at $2,000. They're not reselling your car if they're giving you $2,000 for your car on a trade-in. What they're going to do is they call it parting it out. I think at this point, you might be better literally just ripping this thing down to the studs and parting out this team for what you can get and get as many young assets in here as you possibly can. I hate saying that because I love this defense. I love Akeem Hicks. I love Danny Trevathan, even with them regressing. And Akeem's regression is going to come soon, if not already, because we know he's been hurting just the size of him. He's a mammoth human being. Like, you, you, I think you're just better served almost doing what Pace did, ripping this thing all the way down to the studs and just starting it over with your quarterback and building up the trenches again. Which, well, which he did, which to his credit, real quick, which he did a good job of. Like they yeah, did, he did. And we're talking about the Bills this year, too. The, the year before Josh Allen came in, they literally got rid of every single veteran on the roster and just purged the roster. And so – and now Carolina's doing it this year. Like, Jaguars, obviously, this year, like – Trying to keep the old, you know, band. That's how you end up the Giants. Like, that's 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 a team that tried to keep it together the, with Eli Manning for probably five years too long. And that's how you end up with the second overall pick, the fourth overall pick, the sixth overall pick, and whatever pick they get this year in the top 15. And the other thing I would like them to do is this doesn't end with your picks. You do what the Seahawks did when, when Pete Carroll and Schneider got there. You – bring in 800 they may say something like in the first three years 800 transactions i think is what it was or 600 transactions it doesn't matter if you're a second round pick or an undrafted free agent the best player will get snaps Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter stop with this favoritism run it for the best player if you get an undrafted free agent from liberty university versus a second round pick from oklahoma if the if udfa is out playing him in practice guess who's playing the udfa no more favoritism for picks. Play the best damn player and churn the roster to find the best damn players mm-hmm. all the time. Yep. No, the most and, active teams are the best teams. Just, just by, for sake of being See, active. I didn't know that. I just remember the, the Seahawks right. were notorious for just dudes it's, coming in. on the. Uh, I call it the cavalcade van. Every Monday and Tuesday, they bring these tryout players in. Like, And the Bears always have like six or seven, but I remember – the yeah. Seahawks would always have like 30 dudes in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they would cut and release people all the time. All the time. But and the thing is, like you mentioned, the, the, the draft status stuff too. Like Bill Belichick brings in JC Jackson, who's an undrafted free agent. The same year he drafts in the second round. He's my guy out of Vanderbilt. And I'm now blanking on his name. He deserves it because he hasn't done much. But basically, and he doesn't care. Like JC Jackson was better in camp. So I don't that's that, that's it. That's it. There's not even a decision to be made. And so it's like. You don't see that everywhere, but no, you also mentioned you just seeing bodies, just getting as many trials as possible. There are four teams that, that bring in more people than anyone else, that churn rosters more than anyone else. So the Patriots, the Ravens, the Vikings, and the, and the Seahawks. They just never stop just looking at everybody. Patriots, and again, Ravens, Vikings, those, Seahawks. Yeah, and, yeah, all those four. Ravens, so Patriots, Vikings, Four of Seahawks. the most consistently yes. good teams in football. Correct. And yeah. everyone, again, everyone makes fun of my Vikings as they always should, but the thing with them is, Go look, find me another team where this decade, at no point having a elite quarterback, they've had like one losing season this decade, or maybe two losing seasons this decade. So 
if, if you put if, if Teddy Bridgewater doesn't get hurt that year, we're probably talking about like a dynasty Vikings team that's been good for maybe not a dynasty, maybe not a Super Bowl, but they're probably like winning 11 games a year the last five years in a row if Teddy Bridgewater doesn't get hurt. So it's like, but they just never stop looking. Just mm-hmm. keep making fun of Brad for being a Vikings intern for one summer. It's yeah, no, I just <laughs> die hard. Hey, either way, it's it, it's a it's a well run organization. Rob? that deals with a whole lot of problems. Anyways, yeah, let's let's go real quick. So specifically for Brad, do the Bears have the means to retain Allen Robinson and sign a veteran starting center if they plan to go with a rookie quarterback? Yeah, they do. They, they, they absolutely have the financial flexibility to do it. Um, you can't say they don't now because they've shown a willingness to push money down the road. Why, if you're going to push money down the road for 30-year-old Danny Trevathan, are you not going to push money down the road for 27-year-old Allen Robinson? And then for the center thing, um, not a ton of great free agent centers. I'm not a big fan of paying interior offensive linemen in general. Corey Lindsay's a stud out of Green Bay. He'll, he'll probably get a nice deal, but off the top of my head, I can't really think of anybody else. I'd rather just... Didn't I mean, Corey Sam Lindsay Musker's, just get extended recently, or was that Bakhtiari? That was Bakhtiari. Bakhtiari. So, Bakhtiari. And the moment that deal came through, Lindsay was gone. So he, and he'll, he'll gotcha. get signed, but, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, yes, they can if they want to, if they want to find a center, but I don't know. I'm not a fan of paying, paying that position personally. What's yeah, next? no, and not to mention, you got to do something with James Daniels. I mean, like, it, it's James Daniels has to play somewhere, and Cody Whitehair is probably sticking at left guard, though. Um, oh, my gracious. If they move them back again, I'm going to lose my mind. Just because... let James Daniels play center, for the love of God. And if he fails, he fails. But at this Agreed. point, the Bears are, as we're exiting win now, you can start just kind of trying stuff. And James Daniels at center is a great option there. Uh, for, uh, moving on to our next question. We've got a fun one here. Who do you guys think is the best chef on the bears roster? And I'll start. I keep going back to Darnell Mooney because he's so detail oriented that part of me thinks that in a sea of people that I don't know if they're going to cook Prince of Mukamura would have been my answer a little while ago. Cause he's so studious. I get the impression that Mooney could Google a recipe and find something that he would put together and it'd come out pretty well. The best chef. I'm inclined to believe Akeem Hicks. You know, he had some time in New Orleans. He's up from he's up from Canada. He's 355 pounds. Not saying he's only probably 16%, 17% body fat. He's just a big human. And in order to maintain that size, what do you got to do, fellas? You got to eat. <laughs> and you factor in the Cajun cooking, the Canadian background, going to college up there. I think he's from North Carolina originally, I want to say. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me. I'm going off of memory there. I think Akeem would, would whip you up a nasty, in a good way, a nasty dish that you would enjoy with him. And then he would be, he would like kind of do the, I'll call it the Italian thing, where even after you're done in full, he would pile more on your plate and be like, eat. <laughs> absolutely never yeah it's an empty plate rule at the hicks house no question i was gonna say akeem hicks as well but you mentioned he, that he's he spent time in canada so i think that was a small downgrade in my oh apartment. come on you don't like poutine <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned new orleans which is you know the, the delicious food so he also he also had the new orleans teaching as well but um you mentioned dirt on mooney also spent time in new orleans i guess that's that's the common thread but i'm gonna go with a, with a sleeper his name is Daniel McCullers. That's my choice. Oh, the he big is. nose tackle Ooh, big man, McCullers. Big yeah. nose tackle. Recent addition. He's actually been pretty solid for the Bears so far. But also, I just think the name Daniel McCullers. That guy can eat, like right. Like, <laughs> He's right. Yeah, I think so. Well, as I just said, how do you maintain that size? You gotta eat. You gotta eat. <laughs> 
no, All right, no way around it. One also, one final question we'll hit before we drop off. Oh from boy. a draft or from a draft and team building perspective, which would you find more important? Drafting a quarterback first and adding pieces around him or drafting other positions to help transition the quarterback to the NFL? Ooh. Uh Brad, you want to go first? <laughs> sure. No, absolutely. And, and the thing is, your response is my response, too. Like, this is a phenomenal question. I think it's something that we're going to be trying to get at, get the answer to for a long time. Um, I, I, I do believe that there has to be an infrastructure in place to some extent. Otherwise, you're going to get a Trubisky, you're going to get a Darnold, where I do think that part of their failure was because of what was around them. And not just on the team, but just everything in place. Like, it, it's a very sensitive situation. So... I would say that, but at the same time, our, our guy, Justin Herbert, is playing behind the worst offensive line I, I've ever seen. So it goes both ways. I would say, personally, I would like to have at least something in place on offense, um, a safety net, wide receiver, or a good offensive line, one or the other. Um, and I think if you don't resign Allen Robinson, the Bears have neither. So that's why, to, to this hypothetical question, for the Bears specifically, I'd probably punt on a quarterback this time around. I get it's a great class. I would I would draft a tackle. I would build up maybe Reeson Robinson, or if you don't, get another receiver. And then Mooney, you know, and that receiver are, are the future with Komet kind of coming along. But yeah, so it, it's situational. But I think my answer would be surrounding first and then put the quarterback in there, kind of like a Baker Mayfield situation. So kind of to piggyback off of Brad with my answer, um, Obviously, or to, before I start my answer and piggyback off Brad, um, the obvious best way to sustainable year after year success is a phenomenal quarterback. You look at Breeze, you look at Brady, you look at Ma the Manning brothers, you know, what Roethlisberger up in Pittsburgh, there's, there's a likelihood if you, the, the likelihood is better than that, that if you get that franchise guy, you're going to be good for a really long time the likelihood of finding that franchise guy is not great. I would say, like I've said on the show a couple of times, it's probably a 65% chance that the first round quarterback you take ends up sucking. And that that's an awful thing to say, but if you go back historically and look at it, it's kind of true. I would personally do, do exactly what Brad said, especially in the bears case this year, you're not a quarterback away. You're just not you're a whole damn offense away and it doesn't matter how much of a czar playbook wizard play call feeler, whatever you want to call yourself, no matter how great those schematics and that brain is, you can't win. If you can't block, that's just the nature of the beast. And I know that's going to upset bears fans, but I would probably do the same thing. And I, I know I've used the, the example on the show, I think before, Dak Prescott was a fourth-round pick, rightfully or wrongfully. That's where he was drafted. He stepped in behind probably what was the best offensive line in football that year when Romo broke his back with Ezekiel Elliott and guys like – I think Dez was still there at the time. Um, I could be wrong. Don't quote me. I can't remember the skill positions. But it makes life easier. And nothing's precluding the Bears if they were to, say, take the tackle from Sam Cosme, for instance, for Texas, just – for argument's sake, and then take a guard in the second round. And then you can take a Desmond Ritter as an upside swing in the fourth round out of Cincinnati. There's nothing precluding them from doing that. I think given their current state, 
they'd be better off not trading away picks to get up if they win another game or two because you just got your picks back from the, the Khalil Mack trade. I know that's unpopular. I know especially this Bears fan base fancies Zach Wilson as the savior before he's ever played an NFL down, and I like Zach Wilson. I know that isn't Brandon's take, but I do like Zach Wilson. I also just – I've seen the story too many times in the NFL, whether it be Bears or otherwise, where they go and get the quarterback and they throw him out there and he gets his ass kicked for four years, and then he's out of the league. So, yeah, my my big issue, my big issue here. I'll I'll so I'll state my bias like dead on, no holds barred. I hate dead years. It takes long enough for football to start up again, and I don't want a dead year. I hated 2016. I didn't even really like 2015 all that much. 2017 was fun until it wasn't fun at all. And the idea that after the 2018 magical season, the 2019 season that I thought was one of the most disappointing I'd seen in a while, and then the 2020 season came along and and was worse, I don't want to go into 2021 knowing all the Bears are going to do is lose, and chances are very few of the games but are going to be almost any what if fun. what if i told you the likelihood of a quarterback hitting went from 50 percent behind a better offensive line versus getting zach wilson at 65 or 70 percent being awful i mean i get it I, I, I know, I'm, I'm telling just, you yeah it's, it's a bias i get it yeah it's one of those where you look at it and you go but 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 justin herbert but 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 deshaun watson and you look at all these guys that are succeeding well, behind absolutely you nothing. Question. would you rather writers? be would you rather be the bears right now or would you rather be the Texans right now who are just as expensive, lack draft picks, and they found the damn quarterback. They found him and they suck. Well, so what's... they're probably going to beat us. So well, depends yeah. on how you, what you call suck. <laughs> but I get what you mean. Different levels of suck. The Bears are historically bad offense, and if you don't have the first couple weeks propping you up, you're probably right. the worst offense in football so, versus that. Yeah, to so, actually yeah. answer the question – to me, it all depends on who you have the opportunity to draft. Like it's, Absolutely. it's a different conversation when you're talking. I mean, in my opinion, it's even a different conversation. Wilson versus Lance. It's a different conversation. Fields versus Wilson. And, and it also depends at, on who your quarterback. Your, your and coaches. it's kind of the same conversation between Lawrence and Fields. In my opinion, they're both so, 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 so good that while I, I think Lawrence is better, like most people do, you're not passing on either of them. If you get the chance and to, to any bears fans listening, Robert's absolutely right about Fields. Fields is number one in any other class that doesn't have the guy from Clemson in it. And if you want to get up to number two to get him, even if you're at, say, number seven or eight for argument's sake, you're giving up your next two first to go get him because he's that good. (laughs) And that's what I'm asking. Is it worth it? Fields as good as I think he is, and and I don't know the answer. If he's great, of course it's worth it. But I don't know the potential of him hitting. If I was playing a video game, right where I was the bears GM building a team and I could simulate the season. Absolutely. I'm doing yesterday's work today in 2021, paying the Piper, developing that offensive line, just let foals be foals, lose a lot of games and take the next quarterback. Because if there's one rule in the NFL, it's that this is the best quarterback class in history until next year. It's a joke, obviously on the idea that there's always somebody really good at the top of the draft. If it's not Darnold, it's Lawrence. If it's not Lawrence, it's Watson. If it's not, you guys get the idea. And, and so if the bears lose a bunch of games, they'll be able to fix their quarterback situation 
next year. I just don't want to wait 19 months to start watching a rookie play behind a better situation because that means that I'm 28 years old, finally getting to see the Bears team. You're not scrap. even 30 yet. I'm 30. I know. Stop it's it. just, I'm I'm saying this to again illustrate my bias that I like the idea that the Bears are going to be competitive every season or at least give me something to watch. And unfortunately, as Brad put it uh, probably months ago, the Bears have been spending like they have a Hall of Fame quarterback and they don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback. They don't have a quarterback. And eventually it all comes crashing down, kind of like what's happening in Philadelphia at an accelerated pace due to Carson Wentz's just a, like brain fart in the football world tragedy. but absolutely trade tra- absolute one, tragedy one funny wrinkle just to the to the waiting for 2021 uh, bears watching bears fans have to think about sam howell who is if, if you don't know he's uh, north carolina's current quarterback and he's very good he's much better than uh, another recent north carolina quarterback the quarterback watching who's bears fans have to wrestle in their brain <laughs> whether or not we can trust another UNC quarterback might be worth the price of admission alone. <laughs> That's hilarious. But either way, we're coming up on an almost ridiculously long podcast. So we have to cut things off at some point. One more name. If, if they punt on 21, just because I don't want to squeak, I don't want to have to deal with the squeamish in 21. The uh, quarterback from Arizona state, Jaden Daniels is a lot of fun and he's really, really good. And he started as a true freshman last year. Goat. Go check him out because he's another one that's going to go really, really high. Mm-hmm. Trouble is, the course. like you're talking about, if you don't fix offensive tackle in high in the first round, it's extremely hard to fix offensive tackle. Right tackle, you can do that in the second round sometimes. But left tackle, even still today, oh, over what the last five years, incredibly hard to find. <laughs> what was but, but the left tackle? And yeah, you're going to keep searching. But Jason, <laughs> Jason Peters. Jason Peters. Peters. Yeah, he's yeah. an undrafted free agent. What about him? Sure, the the one in a million are occasional, but the Bears just struck lightning with Charles Leno, and I doubt they're going to do it again. Uh, but so, and they hate him. But so, uh, either way, it it do, it makes a lot of sense either way that or whatever direction they go, and it really all depends on where the Bears draft because drafting, I think we'll all agree, at eight versus drafting at thirteen, world of difference depending on how the board falls. But. We have to see it to believe it. Either way, I think this buttons up this episode of Rule of Three. So, Brad, where can folks find you online? Thanks for having me on again, boys. Uh, you can find Thanks me online me. on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Um, definitely going to be all about GM search, coach search. You know, I'm fully transitioning to 2021, the draft and all that. So, uh, and, and not, not just Bears, but but all fo- – no, but for all football. But obviously – the Bears at this point, it's all about 2021. Brad, Brad's already punted on 2020. <laughs> oh, yeah. I punted before the season started, let's be honest. <sighs> yes, yeah. you did. He's got the receipts <laughs> to back it up. Danny, how about yourself? Where can uh, folks You can find, find you? me on the Twitter thing at DanMian90, the numerals 90. And you can find me at Robert K. Schmitz and on Windy City Gridiron. And until next time, Bears fans, thank you so much for hanging out with you. Know that it was a loaded show. Please provide feedback to any and all of us on what you thought about the show. And until next time, Thanks so much for hanging out with us, and we will see you next week. Blue and orange, first down, for the score, first place, first of all. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. First down, first score, first place, first of all. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot, because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. 
Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.